Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and Jerry's over there making our lives difficult. <laughs> and uh, so that, as usual, means it's time for Stuff You Should Know. That's right. Yes. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Good. Yeah. You look well. Healthy? You know, I feel a little tubby, but yeah. Oh, yeah? I'm okay. That just means you've been living right. <laughs> That's my motto. It's sugar cookies. Yeah. Yeah. Which I like. Yeah. You gotta have sugar cookies sometimes. Uh, so I leave for LA in the morning, where the home of the La Brea Tar Pits. I didn't realize that you were doing the intro. Or should I call it Pueblo de Nuestra Señora La Riena de Los Angeles? <laughs> it's hard to hear that yeah. Los Angeles without thinking. It really it. is. Yeah. But yes, that was the original name of Los Angeles, Chuck. Did you know that before this? Yeah. I did not. Sure. That's a mouthful. I can see why everybody just calls it Los Angeles. Or if you're really hip, L.A. Yeah. Or if you're a jackass, City of Angels. No one says that. That's movie, like movie the people, people say do. Hot Lana. Yeah. Yeesh. Some people say that. You can get a magnet still that says Hot Atlanta. Yeah, well, no one in it or from Atlanta says that. That's a total outsider thing. You don't think they make Atlanta magnets in Atlanta? Yeah, but they sell them at the airport. Right. You know? Atlanta people <laughs> selling it. Hot Atlanta. That's like saying Nevada instead of Nevada. Is that really how it's supposed to be pronounced, Nevada? Yeah. Oh, man, you don't hear everyone every time they you don't see those emails from angry Nevadans? Nevadians? After a while, they just kind of all become a blur. <laughs> yeah, we, we get taken to task for that. And I said, you know what? Everyone outside Nevada says Nevada. I hate to break it to you. Yeah, like everybody. And they say, you know what? Everyone outside of Atlanta says Hot Atlanta. <laughs> I don't think they say that. Some people do, but no. I don't I don't hold a grudge against you if you say it. I just pretend you aren't there. Okay. You know? You just ignore. Hot Atlanta. Uh, so that was my intro. That was a good one, man. I think you should do one and people should vote. <laughs> oh, here is mine. Chuck, uh-huh. have you ever been to Los Angeles? I have. <laughs> you used to live there, didn't you? Yeah. And you've been to the Brea Tar Pits, obviously. Bunch of times. Surely. I've been once. You mean I went to sure. LACMA. Yeah, yeah. Right I had no idea. It was like right there. Mid-Wilshire, Miracle Mile. It, it's like you, you walk out the back entrance into a Japanese garden mm-hmm. at uh, at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, mm-hmm. LACMA. Yeah. And you just keep walking a little further, and all of a sudden, there's a huge mastodon. Yeah, and then you go into the museum that time forgot. It was closed while we were there, and I'm oh, really, really sad, especially after reading this article. The Page Museum is what it's called. Are they up? Did they update it? I think they might have updated it. No, no, no. I mean, like, it was closed for the day. Oh, oh. Like, we spent all of our time in LACMA and then came out. Gotcha. It was closed for the day, but... Mm, I think they may have updated. I think they did very recently. Since I left, because uh, when I went in... When I was living there in late 2000 or late uh, 90s, early 2000s, it was delightfully uh, old. Yeah, well, it was opened in 77. Yeah, it looked pretty untouched. Yeah, like and mechanical a- uh, mastodons inside that were all like clunky and. Uh, oh, now I'm really mad that we missed it. We got to go back. Yeah, it's pretty neat. The herky jerky mastodon. Yeah, and they, they, you could just tell they were old. Yeah. Not in the ways that mastodons are supposed to be old. No. From the 70s. Yeah, exactly. I gotcha. Yeah. So, no, I haven't been to the Page Museum, but I have been to the Tar Pits themselves. That's neat. And Tar Pits, actually, is a misnomer. Yeah. They're actually, they should be called um, Asphalt Pits or Bitumen Pits (laughs) 
because tar is derived from coal, and these pits are derived from petroleum. Yeah. So that's there's the fact of the podcast. Sadly, is it? Is that the fact of the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, the oil, crude oil, seeps up through fissures in the Earth's crust, and then some of that evaporates, and that leaves behind that tar. Asphalt. Asphalt. But let's go back even further than that. These tar pits, the La Brea tar pits, which are basically for anybody who hasn't been there, if you're walking around the grounds of the tar pits, there's just basically black ponds that look like they have oil slicks on top of them. Then when you look a little closer, you're like, oh, it's all oil. Yeah. Every once in a while, there's a bubble coming up here or there. Quite a bit. Uh, and um, again, there's like a huge mastodon coming out like a, a, a model. Yeah, yeah. Coming out of the uh, yeah out of the one of the pits, it's pretty cool. Well, not quite coming out, but trying to. Right, he's never going to come out. He'll yeah, never if, make if it. that played out as a film, he would not make it out. Right, um, and that's the whole reason that the tar pits are even um, have fences and a, a plastic mastodon in the first place, because many many millions of years ago, Los Angeles was underwater. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of um, aquatic life sure. that lived and died in that area yeah. and uh, went to the bottom. And over time, were compressed into the fossil fuel petroleum. Fossil fuel. Yes. Yeah. And then as the uh, Ice Age came and the waters receded and were locked into glaciers up north, yeah. um, that land became drier. And as a result, like you said, that bitumen started coming up through fissures in the ground. And has been ever since. Those are the La Brea tar pits. That's right. And uh, in those pits, uh, we're talking about the Pleistocene Epoch, which is uh, about 2.6 million to 11,700 years ago. Yeah. And the neat thing is, is except for a handful, well, more than a handful, but except for some of these huge land mammals that they found, a lot of the animals are the same as they are now. And this was the last time we had major climate cooling so studying these fossils can, like, we can learn more about our climate from studying these things than, I don't know what. <laughs> I was halfway through the sentence, I was like, wait a minute, I don't know what part two is. But yeah, I think you made the point. Yeah, but that's how they, you know, you can learn a lot from uh, future climates by studying past climates. Right, exactly. And that's one of the things that they're doing now. There's kind of a uh, second wind that's going on at the La Brea Tar Pits. The first wind came about, well, we should say... Um, since the La Brea Tar Pits made their first debut about 40,000 years ago, it's been, uh, they've been successfully trapping animals of all sorts. And not just animals, but plant life too. Yeah, mostly carnivores though. Yes. And there's a reason that there's mostly carnivores. They figured it out because there is a uh, disproportionate amount of carnivores in the La Brea Tar Pits. Yeah, 90%. Yeah, which is way more than there were carnivores. Uh, proportionately speaking, yeah. during the Pleistocene epoch, specifically this last 40,000-year era. Um, and they they think they have it figured out why. Well, it makes total sense. Animal gets stuck in tar pit. Uh-huh. Bigger animal comes along and wants to eat that animal. Right. It gets stuck in tar pit. And maybe even a bigger animal wants to eat both of those. It gets stuck in tar pit. Yeah, well, plus also a lot of carnivores hunt in packs. Sure. So if they're like, well, this... Stupid mastodon can't get out of this black pond. Yeah. I'm going in after him. Right. Let's all go in after him. Everybody gets stuck. That's pretty much it. Yeah. That's why there's more carnivores. That's why they're disproportionately represented. Yeah. It's actually, it, I said he talking about the mastodon outside the fake one. Mm-hmm. I, th- I believe it's, if I remember correctly, a mama. 
Oh yeah, there's babies. And there's right? babies like on the shore. Yeah. And the mama is trapped, and it's really kind of sad. It is. Is what they picked there, but I guess that was the realism of the Pleistocene epoch. Yeah. Sometimes it was... mommy goes hunting and doesn't come back. That's right. It's like Bambi. Yeah. And you can. I think I've told this story before. I was shooting there once on a TV commercial, <clears throat> and I was far away from the uh, the large pools, and I was standing there, and I looked down, and there was a little two foot diameter pool of tar right yeah. by my feet. They're all over the place. Yeah, I mean, they're not all walled up and fenced off, and it was bubbling. Uh, you know what that is, by the way? The It's methane, I guess. Yeah, from bacteria, they found out. Sure. So that was only like Patrolling? five or six years ago that they learned that, and they discovered like 200 new kind of bacteria. That's neat. Petroleum-loving bacteria. Yeah. That's great stuff. And that is still burping, even in these tiny little puddles. Yeah, and the even the big puddles are only about 12 feet deep. Yeah. It's just like four meters, something like that, for our non-Liberian friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, the the tar pits have been just trapping animals. Like you said, even there's lots of recent animals in it. They found they still find cattle bones. Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, he was found in there. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, there was a Los Angeles um, Police Department scuba diver that dove into the pits to retrieve evidence for a cold murder case. Oh, yeah? And was successful, apparently. But he said, like, I've dived all over the place looking for evidence. He said that was the craziest dive I've ever made. He went in the tar? Yes. How? He scuba dived in the tar pit. Wow. Yeah. The the article I read wasn't really um, big on detail. They wouldn't even say what evidence he was looking for. It must be less dense as you go, because... The tar that I've seen, it's like, I mean, it's like road tar. It's so thick. Right. Like, I don't see how you could move. I would think scuba diver gets trapped. I think it's probably more dense toward the bottom. And if you're a mastodon, you're like, it's probably quicksandy. And this guy was probably avoiding the bottom. Plus, I'm sure there are a lot yeah. of people, like, pulling him out. Yeah, I think that bad Rob Lowe movie, they, he did a buried a body in there. Yeah. I you're, mean, it's... What was, what was that? Bad, bad which, influence. Bad influence? Bad behavior? familiar. Bad something. Bad movie. Yeah, it was probably pretty bad. This is before Rob Lowe had his big comeback. Right. This is the post-sex tape years. Oh, yeah, when he was just trying to hang in there. Trying to hang in there. Yeah. Yeah. Way to make it back, Rob Lowe. But they got all kinds of, like, saber-toothed tigers and dire wolves and, like, original, original, native horses to North America that don't exist anymore. Yeah. um, There used to be horses here. There used to be camels here. And they're not like the European horses that... Everyone thinks there's horses here. You're focusing on the horses. There used to be camels here. <laughs> I know. Uh, and like you said, saber-toothed tigers, they found about um, 4,000 of those. Dire wolves? They found about 2,000 dire wolves so far. Um, and then uh, they also found something called the American lion. And this thing was the coolest animal in North America ever, right? Yeah. They got up to eight feet long, four feet at the haunches. Yeah. Um, they weighed something like up to 775 pounds, which is 350 kilograms. These are giant mammals. They were about 25% larger than an African lion. Yeah. They were huge. If they wanted you dead, you were dead. Not like these lions these days. Right. They're lazy. <laughs> yeah. This American lion would have just taken your head clean off. Yeah. And bird, all sorts of uh, flightless uh, predator or flightless f- uh, flying predators. In the sky. Yeah. Um, they're in the tar. Apparently, so far, they found 660 species, 
59 mammal species, 135 bird species, tons of everything from like mollusks to um, the new bacteria you're talking about. The La Brea tarpets have been so vital in providing a picture of um, the of life during the late Paleozoic. Yeah, that the era the the time period from 300,000 years ago to the end of the um, not Paleozoic. Did I say that? I yeah. Said, I meant Pleistocene. Yeah. So the 300,000 years to the end of the Pleistocene yeah. is called the Rancho Labrean, all one word, yeah. land mammal age. Yeah, they renamed it for all this activity, right? Yeah. Like, that's how important these little pits of bitumen are. And we'll talk about how all of this was discovered in just a moment. So, Chuck, uh, if this if these are basically pools of... Uh, bubbling crude, yeah. sticky asphalt. How did a bone ever get pulled out of it? Well, because of uh, progress, my friend, and the fact that Los Angeles was not going to, uh, sorry, Pueblo de Nuestra Señora La Riena de Los Angeles. Wow, that's a dick <laughs> um, It was bound to be developed because of the weather there. Yeah. And the beautiful Pacific coast. Right. And um, so progress, people came along and started making a city there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's such a volatile area. They realized, hey, this is, you know, this is dangerous, this area right here. So let's start drilling for oil. Yeah. And it was, uh, I think, the Hancock family. Yeah. Of yeah. Hancock Park fame, which is right there as well. I'm more of a MacArthur Park person. Uh, yeah? Yeah. Wow. It's a good song. Oh, okay. I thought you meant you just like scoring cheap drugs and <laughs> someone leaving a cake out in the rain. Yeah, MacArthur Park's not the greatest area. No, but it's a it was a good uh, good song. Yeah, but Hancock Park, boy, is that nice? Well, sure. Yeah, I say that like it should be obvious, but <laughs> right, I don't know where it is. Yeah, it's it is nice. Okay, so we're talking about progress. Yes, the Hancock family in 1870 started drilling for oil. Right, and uh, they basically the pits have been used. Um, since by paleo Indians uh, for things like um, waterproofing canoes and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, that stuff, you want to patch a hole in a canoe. Sure. You can do a lot worse. Than asphalt. Yeah, because bef- that was before, uh, what's that, like a new miracle tape that they make? It's like one of those products you see on TV type things. The only one I'm familiar with is that spray that the guy on the clear plexiglass yeah, boat that with too. the <laughs> holes drilled in. Yeah. That's good stuff. But we don't buzz market here. No, because we didn't remember the names of anything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But back then, this tar, man, I mean, that was like, that was magic to the, yeah. to the Native Americans. And it's just sitting there. Yeah. Just don't get too close. Uh, and then when the Spaniards came in and started using that area for um, cattle rustling, uh, they used it also for waterproofing for their roofs. They yeah. also used it as fuel. Um, and then once the Hancock family started digging for oil, they kind of left the tar pits alone. But um, as far back as 1875, a guy named William Denton yeah. was the first person to describe a fossil taken from the La Brea Tar Pit. Somebody gave him a saber-toothed tiger tooth, canine tooth. And that inspired him. It did. Yeah. And so um, the nascent uh, Natural History Museum from Los Angeles contacted the Hancock family and said, hey, why don't you let us start tooling around there? And they let him, starting in 1901. Uh, they were allowed to basically do some kind of random small 
misguided excavation. Yeah, they were only concerned about the big daddy bones. Well, that which, came in the 30s. In the 30s when they started like really digging the pits. Well, I thought 1913 is when they started their first full scale. You're right. I'm sorry. They also did it in the 30s, too. <laughs> well, the, from 1913 till now. Right. Okay, so in 1913, they started digging pits around the La Brea Tar Pits, further pits, uh, 96 of them in total. Yeah, they had to dig down to these. They, they weren't just big natural pools of black tar because people would have seen that previously and been mm-hmm. like, hey, what's up with all that stuff? Right. So they they would dig down, um, remove all of the bones, and like you said, they were really only interested in the big ones. So they kind of discarded and left alone a lot of the bird bones and plant fossils and all that stuff. That's boring. And the other thing they didn't do was catalog the bones together. So they basically just threw them all into piles. And there's a picture on the Page Museum's website of um, one of the early uh, lead excavators. Yeah. Just surrounded by, like, boxes and boxes of bones. I'm sure they were like, what do we do with all this stuff? Yeah. They found something like a million or so, a million and a half bones, I think. Yeah, they dug 96 pits in total. And... uh well, we'll talk about the, the new progress, but before the new progress, they had close to 4 million fossils. And that sounds like a lot, but they said you only have to get, like, once every 10 years, some big animal. Well, yeah, that was another thing, too. They're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. In 40,000 years, how could you have, you know, 4 million bones I think it makes perfect show sense. Up. And they were saying, well, yeah, if you do the math, I think uh, if you have 30... For 10 animals stranded every decade, it would account for it. Yeah, I'm surprised it wouldn't more than that. Yeah. You know? Because, I mean, animals wander into tar pits. Yeah, they might also get smart and avoid tar pits. When? When they see their mommy go in and not come out. I guess so. You know? Because those little uh, baby mastodons didn't look like they were going in after her. No, they were out of there. They went to the beach. <laughs> you know? They went to MacArthur Park. <laughs> Score. That's right. <laughs> Uh, all right, so I said they dug 96 pits. Not all of them bore fruit. Uh, quite a few of them did. And uh, pit number, uh, was it 91, mm-hmm. was noted for the the bounty of fossils it provided. It's always the fifth to last one. That, isn't that the saying? Yeah. <laughs> it's always the fifth to the last. And they, for about 40 years, they really concentrated on pit 91. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they're digging there right now, although they may have started again. No, I think they're hot and heavy on Project 23. Well, should we go ahead and go to Project 23? We'll get to Project 23 in a second. Let's do a message break real quick. Okay. Beep. Stuff you should Stuff you should Okay, so... Let's talk about Project 23. Yeah, I think Project 23 started in 2006, and that was basically a plan to continue digging and find more fossils and take better care with the small guys to get a more complete fossil record. And they call it 23 because they did a... Well, this whole thing started because LACMA wanted to build a parking garage. An underground parking garage. Yeah, which you can't do unless, you know, around that area because it's so volatile without getting some help from archaeologists... And so they ended up digging 23 just big chunks of land, essentially, in these crates. Yeah, have you ever seen, you know, if you buy a fully grown tree from a nursery 
it comes in a huge box, huge wooden planter. Have yeah. you ever seen them like that? Oh, yeah. That's what they used. Yeah. Uh, well, and much larger even. And some of them capable of like close to 60 tons mm-hmm. of soil and tar and bones or whatever else right. is in there. And that's why they called it Project 23, because there's 23 of them. Yep. And this was 2006, so they were using much more sophisticated techniques than they were using even in the 60s um, when they were really hitting pit 91 hard. Um, <laughs> that sounded so stupid. <laughs> Please forgive me, everyone. But they're using sophisticated techniques, and they they had the um, luxury of coming at these deposits from the side or from underneath. Sure. Rather than having to go down through the tar pits from above. Yeah. Um, so they really scored a lot of, like, just a trove of deposits of bones, including um, a uh, woolly mammoth named Zed. Yeah, 80% of them. Yeah. It was a Colombian woolly mammoth. It was the most intact skeleton yeah. ever found of a Colombian woolly mammoth. Yeah, and the the woolly mammoths you see um, reconstructed at the Page Museum are, they were, like you said, they used to just put all the bones together. Mm-hmm. So. Those were bones made up of all kinds of woolly mammoths. Zed is all Zed, or right. 80% of them is all Zed. And they named him Zed in honor of Zero, the British way of saying Zero. Yeah. Um, and the reason they named him Zero is because he represents basically like a, a new start in understanding of not only that um, that species, but all of the life around that era. Yeah, patient Zero. Pretty much. Uh, and the cool thing is... I mean, I like all the campiness of the Page Museum, but one of the really neat parts about it is they have what they call the fishbowl. They have a the room where they're doing this work is all glass, and you can walk through and see all the skeletons that they put together and all the funny old dated uh, woolly mammoths that are going ah. Yeah, you can pound on the glass <laughs> and go nerds to yeah, the scientists. You can do that at the very end of it. You can uh, they're in there brushing and. Uh, they have microscopes and all sorts of neat little tools that scientists use. Right. Oh, you want to wait to the end anyway so you can run off right after you say that. Yeah. And they're recording all the stuff. It's very detailed. Um, they're, they're, what they're doing is they're getting a fossil record from that time like they didn't have before because they were lazy in the 1913 and on. Right. So one of the reasons why they're looking for this fossil record is because this is a particularly curious time period that the La Brea tar pits encapsulated, literally. Yeah. Um, the, where humans evolved. The, and, well, that's remember with the uh, the early Americans. Yeah. The debate over that. This is around that time. Um, there was something called the uh, late Pleistocene extinction. Um, there were a lot. You'll notice a lot of animals, large animals that used to be in North America that aren't any longer. There's no camels. There's no indigenous American uh, horse any longer. Yeah. There's no American lion. And all of these animals, these what are called megafauna, sort of dying off at about the same time in North America. Yeah. And scientists aren't really sure why. And I think that's one of the reasons they're so excited about Zed is they're hoping he can kind of tell them. And there's three competing or um, combination hypotheses for what caused this extinction. Well, humans killed them. That's one. Yeah. That humans either overhunted all of them or overhunted a keystone species like mastodons that led to collapse of the ecosystem as a whole. That doesn't seem likely to me. I know the timeline suggests that, but I think that's correlation. 
Okay. That's just my opinion. The other one is uh, climate change itself did that. This is the end of an ice age. Yeah. Temperatures were rising. Sea levels were rising. Um, it's possible that a lot of these species just couldn't possibly adapt, possibly because they were large, because this late Pleistocene extinction was mostly among mammals um, or animals 100 pounds or more. Yeah. And then the third one is something called hyperdisease, any highly infectious disease possibly introduced by man and then transferred from man to animal. I wonder if they found any human bones in the tar pits at all. I don't know. I haven't heard about that. Yeah. I I didn't come across anything like that either. You'd think they, they would have made pretty big hay about yeah. that kind of thing. Actually, Josh, I did something we rarely do, and I just looked it up mid-show, and they did find a human skull called the La Brea Woman, evidently. Oh. Like early on in 1914, and that I think that's the only human bones... Uh, that they've ever found. Wow. So there you have it. There you have it. Do they have any idea where, like when she lived? Uh, approximately 10,000 years. Wow. So uh, and she was like between 25 and 30. That is neat. So she was old. Mm-hmm. Supposedly that's a fallacy. Yeah. Once once you, uh, they had a high infant mortality rate back then, which skewed, skewed the everything. average life expectancy downward. But once you survived infancy, you could expect to live like to a nice ripe old age. But anyway, it's possible that Zed will give us an idea of what the heck happened at the late Pleistocene extinction. Yeah. Because North America in particular had a peculiar, peculiarly large die off. Like it happened elsewhere in roughly the same time in other continents, but in North America it was big, massive. Yeah. So what happened? Maybe the humans killed them all. Maybe I'm wrong. Ask Zed. Well, no, not necessarily, but there were humans in other places, too, where the extinction wasn't nearly as pronounced. Maybe they were vegetarians. So go to the La Brea Tar Pits. Yeah. Go see it's, Zed with his 10-foot-long tusks. It's an uh, L.A. institution. Yeah. They, if you were just a fan of movies, they've shot all kinds of movies in there. Mm-hmm. And, Rob uh, Lowe movie. Yeah, the great movie Miracle Mile. Yeah. Anthony Edwards. Did you ever see that? No. You should check that out. That's a little-known uh, cult classic about nuclear war and uh, the last, like, 24 hours before the bomb is supposed to hit L.A. Really? And it all takes place at the Miracle Mile area. There's scenes in the tar pits, and there's a diner there right on Wilshire that, I think, Johnny's Diner that's not even open anymore, but they just keep it there because they film so many movies there. Oh, gotcha. Uh, yeah. Highly recommended by me. Nice. Well, I will uh, see your Miracle Mile. Yeah, very 80s, though. Like, get ready for that synthesizer uh, right. score. You I've know. got one for you. Have you ever seen Night of the Comet? Oh, dude, I love Night of the Comet. That's that's a good one, too. Nothing yeah. to do with nuclear bombs or L.A., but it's great. Though. It's super 80s, too. <laughs> yeah. I love that movie. Uh, there you have it. Oh, I, I was behind Anthony Edwards at the Rally to Restore Sanity. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm thinking the right guy, right? The guy from Top Gun? Yeah, and ER. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yep, that's and Miracle Mile. Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> oh, well, sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember his name in that one, but it was that was his best role, I think. Um, we saw the, I don't know if you saw him, but when we were in L.A. for uh, that uh, TV show that we had. <laughs> what? Remember when they brought us out for the press weekend thing? Uh-huh. Um, I can't remember what that's called, but we... The the junket. Yeah, yeah. It was a junket. It was a junket. The two, Revenge of the Booger and um, 
uh, the Carradine guy were both there promoting their new show. And they walked by me and I was like, holy cow, that's oh, yeah, two thirds of the Revenge of the Nerds gang. Yeah. I remember you saying that. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. I felt like I missed out. That's all right. Not seeing them. Oh, well. It really wasn't a big deal. And weren't Matt Damon and uh, Michael Douglas there too? Yeah. Promoting the Liberace movie? Yeah. I remember seeing them and going, what are they doing together? And that is what our TV show has to do with Behind the Candelabra. <laughs> Uh, if you want to know about more amazing connections, you can check us out on social media. We're all over the place. We're on Twitter at SYSK Podcast. We're on Instagram and Pinterest. Uh, we're on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com, the triumphant return of that URL. And uh, if you want to know more about the La Brea Tar Pits, <laughs> I did this totally out of order. What is wrong with me today? You got a case of the Mondays. Weird. (laughs) It's Wednesday. Wednesday. (laughs) Anyway, I guess we'll leave it in, huh? Sure. No sense in recording something in error over again. Well, and since no one ever knows how to get in touch with us, it's clear that most people tune out by this time anyway. Right. Okay. Well, anyway, if you want to know more about the Library Tarpets, type that in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and that will bring up this listener mail. Uh, amnesia expert is what I'm going to call this. We called out for amnesia experts, and we got one. Uh, or she says, I sort of am. Her name is Maya. She's a Ph.D. student working on her dissertation in neuroscience. She said, my work focuses on spatial working memory, and our lab actually models human amnesia in rats. Uh, while there were a few things that were nitpicky, uh, nitpickily wrong, um, I most wanted to write in about your discussion of short-term and working memory. Uh, while in the podcast you stated that there were two separate things, they were two separate things and that working memory forms a bridge between STM and LTM. In fact, the term short-term memory is no longer really used in the memory field. Uh, working memory now encompasses what used to be re- uh, referred to as short-term. Duh. The working part is in reference to the fact that these items can be remembered as long as a brain works at rehashing the information, like, say, repeating it to yourself, rather than for a certain arbitrary period of time. That's why they use a Clydesdale to represent working memory. <laughs> There's also competing theories about the actual limits of working memory, but our lab believes and has shown that it is capacity dependent, uh, that uh, the traditional idea of seven items really holds true for simple things like numbers or letters. Uh, in fact, the more complicated the information, the fewer items your working memory can hold. That is amazing. For example, why you can easily remember the ten digits uh, by repeating it in your head. You could only remember one or two faces using the same strategy. Huh. So that is from Maya, uh, and good luck on your PhD yeah. studies. Thanks for correcting us, too. Maybe it would have held a little more weight if it come after you got your PhD, but <laughs> we appreciate you writing in either way. Uh, if you want to be derided by me or Chuck on listener mail, or if you want to just correct us, uh, we appreciate that in all seriousness. You can uh, write to us, as I said before, stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And while you're on the computer, you might as well check out our beautiful, luxurious home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 